The following is a presentation of the Premier Dance Network. Hi everyone, Kimberly Falker here, the founder and CEO of the Premier Dance Network, the only podcast network dedicated solely to the world of dance. And welcome to Pod to Chat with your host, Barry Corellis. Hello and welcome back. Thanks for coming to chat. I am your host, Barry Corollis, and you are listening to Pod to Chat Talking Dance on the Premier Dance Network. In this bi-monthly podcast, I candidly offer educational conversations and thoughtful analysis on all things dance. With my vast background as a director, choreographer, instructor, and dancer, I'm happy to share my 17 plus years of experience with you, whether you're a professional dancer or just listening in for an insider's look into our fascinating art form. So put your earbuds in, grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and let's talk dance. Hello, hello, hello. I hope that you all have been doing so well this past month and that you've been enjoying your summer. I want to apologize that there was an extra week delay in me getting an episode out. There is just so much going on that I'm excited to share <laughs> share with all of you guys. Um, but yeah, it's just been very busy. We, my, my husband and I, we went to Los Angeles for a week and a half and I also taught at a convention in Biloxi, Mississippi. Uh, if, you, if you remember the last episode before I left, I think I might have mentioned that there was a hurricane that was coming down into the area uh, while I was going down to the convention. So I ended up Barry, Barry being in Hurricane Barry. So it was a very interesting experience. It wasn't as bad as Hurricane Harvey. I guess it's just kind of my thing that whenever I go teach somewhere or choreograph something that we're going to have some type of natural disaster. So <laughs> I survived. All is good. Uh, after LA, we came back and just getting preparations for my company uh, pre-show, pre-launch um, and fundraiser. I, I've been very busy. So thank you so much for your patience and me coming back uh, to, to do more podcast episodes for you guys. So um, just a quick update on what's going on. So I already talked about my company uh, in-studio showing. So I'm launching Movement Headquarters Ballet Company in the winter of 2020. And in preparation for that, we are going to be presenting some of the works that will premiere in that that show on August 24th. That's Saturday, August 24th at 7.30 p.m. That'll be at Martha Graham, uh, the Martha Graham Studios down in, I think it's The Village. It's that area. It's 55 Bethune Street. But yeah, so if you're in the New York area at the end of August, uh, please come on down and and check us out we have six wonderful dancers that are part of our company they're from everywhere from boston ballet to carolina ballet texas ballet theater oregon ballet theater and even broadway so we've got a great crew of people and uh we're already getting a lot of support so i would love to see you guys there to support us as well um and if you are a listener and you do show up don't be shy come up to me after the show and let me know that you are there to see and that you are a listener i love meeting you guys what else is going on? Um, I'm teaching too many classes to count at Broadway Dance Center. So if you want to come take class with me, you can go on to broadwaydancecenter.com and you can check my faculty bio page. If you just click on my face, they actually list our schedule as it changes and as it evolves there. So you can do that. Uh, if you want to come take class with me, if you're vacationing in, in the city during the, the last month of the summer. Um, other than that, I just wanted to put out there, I, I try to keep you guys updated on what's happening with me. I'm focusing my energy this year on conservatory teaching, private lessons and choreography. Um, so if anybody is interested in reaching out to me to have me come teach any master classes, or if you're 
interested in choreography for competitions, uh, you know how to reach me. Uh, you can always go to my website, www.barrycorlos.com uh, and go to the contact page there and reach out to me. All right. So many exciting things happening. Ah, I guess this is what summer is for. Usually people relax during the summer, but that's, I just guess that's not my genetics someday. <laughs> all right. So to make up for missing last week, I've got a special prize for you all. I rarely ever do anything like this, but my friend and peer convinced me to collaborate with her on this episode of Pod Chat Talking Dance. So in a rare bout of Pod Chat, I will be interviewing. Get you get that? Like I get asked to do interviews constantly, and it's just not the kind of of uh, podcast that I, I want to be creating. But there, there's a specific reason why I'm doing an interview for this podcast, aside from the fact that this friend of mine and I have been talking about collaborating for a while. Okay, but I I wanted to interview somebody who was uh, an expert on point shoes, um, because for me, I have worn point shoes like six or seven times in my life, just like messing around doing like the La Esmeralda, like kick the tambourine <laughs> releves and all that stuff. But I, being a male in dance, I, I have a good idea of how point work works, but I don't understand a lot about point shoes because I just don't wear them. I've never really done much with them. So today I will be interviewing point shoe expert and YouTuber, Mary Carpenter. Hi, Mary. Hi, Barry, thanks for having me on your your pot of chat. Thank you yeah. so much for coming. How long have we been talking about having you on? I feel like it's been a year. It probably has been about a year. <laughs> We've actually had, I think, two or three meetings at uh, what is it, Turnstiles? Turnstile, like I love underground. That place, yeah, though. it's cool. Love, yeah. But so we, we've had two or three meetings where we've discussed this and we're, we're finally getting around to it. Mary's very busy and, and she she and I, we met actually, we've been friends online for years. For years. And then what was it, like two or three years ago, we ran into each other at Steps on Yes, Bubble. yes. Yeah. I think, I don't know whether you stopped me or, yeah, I think that's what happened. You stopped me and you were like, I'm Barry. And I was like, oh my God, it's so nice to meet you in person. Well, the thing is, it's, it's actually really easy to find you places because, so it, I know that you can't see Mary right now. You can check her out. So I'll, I'm going to throw a little plug in here. So Mary has a YouTube channel where she talks about point shoes. Mm -hmm. What's, what's your YouTube channel? It's Dance with Mary NYC. Yeah. So Dance with Mary NYC. So, um, but the, the reason that I was, I was able to find her and you can check out her YouTube channel and see what she actually looks like. Um, she has this gorgeous long like fire red hair oh, she's easy you. to spot yeah. Yeah. yeah I know even in my logo there's it's a stick figure dancing and there's like a little swoop of red hair so I'm like okay. oh, I never even noticed yeah that. yeah if you look at my little dancing you know I definitely have to yeah yeah I have to look at that again yeah. okay so I'm so excited to have you here thank you so much um I I want to let you give a, a, a before we get in dive into this information about point shoes uh just give me a little bit of and our listeners a little bit of background uh like where you started what you did in your career and then how you got to where you are now yeah so uh i started out uh taking classes at uh cincinnati ballet company school that's when david mclean was still alive and running the company so uh we had a lot of people like peter anastas would come in and Amazing. choreograph and we had, um, you know, just a lot of really great people come in. And then from there, I actually went to Butler University. And then from there, I started. It's a great started, dance program. It's a, yeah. a really good art class. We had a really strong class. Everybody pretty much worked. 
And then I went and danced for Lexington Ballet because one of my butler professors was the director of the company. So that was the first company Mm -hmm. I danced for. And then from Lexington, I was injured, moved to New York. In New York, then I started just doing anything. You name it, I did it. Acting, dancing. I danced at the Met. I supered at the State Theater. So I, essentially, you were a freelance dancer. I was at the a freelance of your career. dancer. Well, after, yeah. after you finished with Lexington, Ballet. yeah, yeah, yeah. I just noticed that when I moved to New York, there were still. I feel like it's harder now for you what you're starting up. I think it was uh, it was even easier in the '80s and the '70s, but in the '90s, it was still pretty good. A freelancer could make a pretty good existence you could you could work yeah. you could go from gig to gig to gig you didn't have the gaps like I really did go from this to that I had a very layered career and I kind of liked that I kind of liked doing the acting stuff too I guess what it really was was I never said no to anybody mm-hmm. like if they said hey do you want to try this I didn't go you know there's so many people that go me I don't do that and I was like I always tell my students I'm like don't say no because it could either be something really great and lead to something else or it could be like, okay, I tried that and I didn't yeah. like it. Well, and and it, it also makes you a much more well-rounded artist. Yeah. And I, I actually agree with you a lot in, in that area because I feel like as dancers, you kind of get in the, this mindset like, I'm a dancer, I'm a dancer, I'm a dancer. But there are other aspects of dance that like you, you are also an actor or an actress, but you're not necessarily speaking. Mm-hmm. But then all of a sudden, there was a point in my career when I was freelancing where somebody was like, oh, this new dance TV show is flesh and bone. Um, they were like, this new dance TV show is happening. And I had never taken any acting classes, but I went to this audition without any experience or with American in Paris when they started mm-hmm. booking to start American in Paris. Mm-hmm. I didn't take singing lessons. And all of a sudden there was, there were all these options beyond just being a dancer that right. started to present itself. And yeah. I really wish I had that opportunity that yeah. you had. It was so, so that actually the fitting of the point shoes came up as a result of me just having to have a layered career. I mean, that's... So you, so one thing that I haven't mentioned yet is that Mary is, she, so she's a point shoe expert, but she's not just a point shoe expert. She's also one of the city's most renowned fitters uh, of point shoes. So that's one thing we're going to be talking about a lot. So go go ahead. And I've been at it a long time. So Mm -hmm. one of the things was I was on scholarship at David Howard Dance Center. I was dancing full time in a company. But then I needed, of course, extra money. Mm-hmm. So I got extra a job. Extra money can't hurt. Yeah, extra money can't <laughs> hurt. And I, I was like, well, I'm, I'm going to be laid off during this time. And this time I might as well go and get a job at a dance store. Because it made sense to me. I'm like, you get a discount on the apparel. Mm-hmm. It's close. It, the store that I applied for was close to where David Howard's was. It was all kind of in that Lincoln Center area. Yeah. So it's not like you were running back and forth between Brooklyn and Queens. No, and no. I mean, I lived in Queens at the time that I first started, but I Repito used to have a dance uh, dance store here. You know mm-hmm. how they have their store in Paris, mm-hmm. and I think they. Have I feel a store like there were a England. lot of places that had dance stores, and then they ended up they, well, they were here for a while, and then they left. Didn't some didn't the store just close? Yeah, you know who's closing now is Sancha. Oh, they're they're I'd either be, moving locations. I know they're wow. supposed to be closing in October. If you go, it's like fifty percent off. Oh, well, on everything. It's like when Tower Records went went down. I went so and got true. all the DVDs that I could get. Oh my God, that's so <laughs> funny! You mentioned Tower Records. My friend Adam, you know who works? We used to work together as fitters, uh-huh. and he now he works at Block. Uh-huh. He was a buyer for Tower Records, so we talk about Tower oh, Records closing all the time. How it was such a tragic. <laughs> I mean, I spent so much when I was at School American Ballet. There was a Tower Records oh, right yeah, next door. Oh yeah, that one. I practically lived there. They had the best fine arts section. Mm -hmm. 
oh my god i bought so much stuff their dvds yeah yeah there's out of all the cities that i used to go there that i that i've been to i remember going to tower records and they usually didn't have a lot that was the one that had tons yeah okay so back back to your your fitting right so 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 repito i got a a job at repito when they still had a store um it's where the link it's near where the lincoln cinemas Mm-hmm. Do you know where I'm talking about? So right by the Juilliard yeah. area yeah. Um, and the it's School of American Ballet. where Lee used to be. But yes. Yeah, right. So in that area. Um, and I was fortunate enough to be hired by a woman who was a former dancer, had had some pre-med experience, and was trained by, get this, she had worked for Taffy's, which was bought out by Capizio, but she got trained when Rodney Freed used to go around and train people to frit. Wow. The Freed Rodney Freed mm. before he sold the business. Mm. So she got trained by Rodney Freed. Then she trained me. Mm. I have to tell you, this is that's, funny. I have, I, yeah, I have to tell you this because when I first started working at the store, I was like, okay, I, I didn't care about fitting point shoes. I just, I really, they had the most beautiful leotards. They still do. Uh, Repito does. But um, they, they, uh, I remember getting the job thinking, okay, I'll get this nice discount on the dance wear and I'll get, you know, I'll be close to David Howard's and I'll be close to where I need to take class and where I'm rehearsing and everything. Uh, and she was like, okay, I'm going to teach you how to fit point shoes. And I'm like, <sighs> okay. <laughs> All right. If I have to. Right. Yeah. But she was so adept at it. And then she taught me from a very scientific way. Not like it wasn't all fluff, like, oh, the shoe is supposed to be magical. And No, it wasn't yeah. like that. It was like, this is the way a shoe is supposed to foot. This is what's going on anatomically. This is what's going on from a kinetic aspect. And I was just hooked. Mm. I was like, wow. It's like a completely different approach. It was a completely different approach. She told me why I have problems with my shoes in the mm. past without even like seeing what I danced in in the past. Wow. Yeah, so her name's... Almost like a point shoe whisper. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) she was. Her name's Tina Dunn. She fit people that I didn't even think were possible. I watched her fit somebody who was missing a big toe, which I thought was impossible because that's your balance point on your entire foot. She fit somebody that had had, like, reconstruction on their whole, like, you know, calf muscle. I mean, she was just really just quite good mm. um and you know in training to be an emt at the same time like this is well it would make sense that someone who had a understanding of anato- anatomy and like different movement of the foot and knowing a little bit about some more medical parts uh, of how the feet work it, it makes sense that she would know but so was she a dancer at she some was point? a dancer too okay. she was wow. from indianapolis and we had you know a lot in common because she was from indianapolis and she had studied at there was a school jordan uh, uh, college um, that the young students used to have. It's since closed, but mm-hmm. um, a lot of the Butler uh, students came from that school. Cool. So she had studied there and I had gone to Butler, so we sort of had that in common. She had cool. also worked on and off for these other companies that mm-hmm. I had worked for. So, but anyway, she's the one that gave me my job and thank God she taught me how to fit. And then from there, I went and I started working. After that, I started working at Gaynor Minden. And Gaynor Minden was still developing their products at that time. So mm-hmm. it was very interesting. They were still, they weren't really on a lot of feet. Mm-hmm. Um, and Eliza was still really developing a lot of things. So that was very interesting. And then from there, I went and worked at Capizio after it got bought out. The 57th Street store used to be a Taffy's. Mm-hmm. 
and that was owned by Susan Epstein. And then that got bought out by Capizio Ballet Makers. So I started working there when it was flipping over to Capizio Ballet Makers because 57th and 51st used to be separate. See, I yeah, know. I always, I never understood that when right, I was Right, right, right. Because they were separate. But 57th was corporately owned and 51st Street was owned separately. Huh. Um, and it's then like the they bought out, the, yeah, exactly. They bought <laughs> out 51st Street. So then after 57th, I went to work at 51st Street in the professional division. Cool. That's fascinating. That's where you do all the special orders. And mm-hmm. that's where I met my friend Adam, who's mm-hmm. you know now at Block. But then from there, I stopped working there and I started working at Freed of London. Which is actually not I that I love Freed. Yeah, I love Freed. And that's Us what I wore my whole... trained dancers love yeah. Freed's. Whether I mean, I don't wear them, but like if that's... I see a dancer in Freed's, my heart melts a little yeah, bit. Yeah, that's what I wore my whole professional career was wow. Freed's. Because, good choice, good choice. Yeah, because I... Well, that's a story. We'll, get, anyway, we'll get to that. Yeah, yeah. So we'll get to then, that a little bit. We're still, we're still just getting in through the intro. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, from there, um, uh, Chakot and Freed are actually owned by the same parent company. A lot of people don't know this. Hmm. So Chakot is a Japanese company and they are there's a parent company called Amur Kashiyama that owns Shakat and Free, but they have autonomous boards. So that's when they came together and they they did Shakat by Free to London and mm-hmm. that's that gorgeous store that used to be on East uh, West twentieth. Mm-hmm. Um right around no east 20th excuse me east 20th right around the corner from the abt studios Mm -hmm. they closed last october which was such a i know such a bummer for me every time it's like the death of a the death of a dance store in new york it's felt within the dance community you wouldn't think so but it's just it's sad to see it's like it's like seeing a dance come like when uh jessica lang dance closed it was it's like the same like oh it hurts a little bit because it's like watching one of your own disappear yeah it's it was also for me it was one of the most I like I worked for sh- them in a showroom before they opened that store in the fashion district and that was my favorite area to work <laughs> but that store is my favorite store to work in because it was so beautiful mm. it had a huge fitting space it had plenty of room for customers mm. to sit down and Japanese um, if you've ever been to any of their stores like in Japan and everything everything is just so yeah Oh, yeah. The Japanese, my husband is a professional organizer. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, And everybody wants to do the Kalmari method. Uh, That's a whole nother podcast. Does it spark um, joy? It does it spark joy. (laughs) And most people don't realize that they don't want to do that method. But so the the thing is, like, when we went to go travel and we were in Hong Kong, granted it wasn't Japan, we went to an area of town where there were some Japanese stores and he actually took photographs of how the stores were organized because they just have such special ways of... Of organizing everything. It's, and, and working with Japanese people was really just such a pleasure for me. It was really, um, I just, I feel like also with the dance stores that I've worked for, I've learned about people's cultures. Like I learned about the French mm-hmm. people working at Repito because mm-hmm. um, the French people from the bank were there all the time. I learned about, you know, working with Japanese people. I'm working with British people mm-hmm. at Freed. So that, that way it's been kind of fun too. Very but cool. anyway, yeah, I, I uh, Awesome. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to ask you, I have a handful of questions that I want to get to. Okay. Um, But really quickly before we get to that, just uh, where where are you teaching in the city? I teach at Steps on Broadway. I have an open Pilates. Yeah, Steps on Broadway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're both (laughs) Steps on Broadway. That's been my home base for a long time, Mm -hmm. ever since uh, David's studio closed. David Howard. Yeah, David Howard. That's where... He was a mentor of mine. He was lovely. Yeah. um, So... Uh, actually, he passed away in August of 2013, so we're oh, coming up. It's good, like anniversary episode yeah, in honor yeah. of Mr. Howard. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, he actually, you know, I'm on one of his, his, the last class 
that he they recorded him doing is called um, "I'll Be Seeing You," which is the album, which is with the Stephen Mitchell CD. Yeah, it's on Vimeo um, under Charles Evan Jr. He's the one that shot the footage of it. Mm-hmm. They were so lucky to get this footage. It, they got it like a couple of months before he passed away. Wow. They had to even do some filming after he was gone and reshoot it but it's got a class it's got Stephen Mitchell's music and then it's got a point shoot fitting wow. yeah so he really supported me he was very supportive hmm. I would do a lot of his teacher like if he did teacher training I'd give a point shoot lecture wow. and stuff like that yeah so anyway yeah, um, so yeah. Connection with yeah, yeah yeah um, uh, so steps on Broadway at six o'clock on Tuesdays I have a Pilates mat class which is a lot of fun cool uh, and I used to have other open ballet classes so now I just sub because I got married and I have to super commute and that's where we yeah, bonded we bonded over super, super commuting. commuting Mary actually reached out to me about super commuting uh when she was considering this, uh, because for two years, as most of you know, if you're a new listener, I commuted from Philadelphia to New York for two years, which uh, it's it, it definitely wears on you a little yeah. bit. <laughs> uh, when I talk to my husband, goes he goes Philadelphia. When I tell him like what you used to do, and he goes, oh no, yeah, and yeah. I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, which is why I'm not going to super commute every day from Albany. Yeah. Like, also, we we, we, we gave her tips, or I gave yes, her tips so that she did. could You were very helpful. Well, you were extremely helpful. You. But yeah, so aside, aside from teaching us on Broadway, you also are uh, at uh, Barnard. Barnard correct? College, mm-hmm. and I'm also at the New School University. Amazing. Uh, and I'm, I also teach at the school at STEPS, except we've mm-hmm. just, oh, sorry, STEPS Youth Programs now. Steps we just had a big, program. Yeah, we just had yeah. a big change. STEPS on Broadway, everything. it's currently, uh, the organization is having a transition of leadership, Land Terry from New York City Dance Alliance mm-hmm. has taken over mm-hmm. and he's doing some really wonderful things for their programs there and really updating uh, a system that's been around for a while. Um, so there, there's been success, obviously, with it, but he's just trying to tweak it to make it even and better. he's incredibly successful at his New York Dance oh my Alliance. Gosh, yes. So he's, yeah. as he was saying, he didn't need to take that work, he, but he, he took it on anyway. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so we're appreciative of that. All right. So I'm, I, let's get to point use. Yes. Let's talk about point shoes. So, like I said, I understand point work to a degree, being a choreographer and having uh, worked with women on point, like partnering them and whatnot, but I would n- in no way call myself an expert. So I wanted to just give our listeners a chance to, to learn about point shoes and to also just know what it, like how their feet might be fitted, um, what types of point shoes there are out there, what's, what's different uh, about those point shoes and whatnot. So let's get started. First off, can you give me just a bit of history about point shoes, like... Who developed them, why they were made, and then how they evolved to where they were today. So how far back do you want to go? Because I could talk about this stuff for hours because I'm a point shoe geek. Uh-huh. So how far back do you want to go? I mean, they're... I'm, I'm, so for, for, for me today, I think for our listeners, I'm, I'm most interested in talking about the like types of point shoes, how, how they get fitted, mm-hmm. and ways that they can work with their feet. So go back and tell us like where they started and why they started. Right. And then I would say let's move let's move through the evolution to get to today. Yeah. Uh, without like hours. And I know, hours. I know, I know. It's just like it's so interesting. <laughs> we we can have drinks so we can talk <laughs> about so let's give a brief like an online synopsis. Okay. Yeah. So basically what the one most fascinating thing that I tell especially young students, because I do the lectures for um, ABT, JKO, they're young dancers. Mm -hmm. And what I tell them is I'm like, you have to understand that the technique for point and ballet 
and the shoes developed it with symbiotics. So mm. you didn't have already this technique and then the shoes came in sideways. Or you didn't like just the shoes were in existence so they decided to make So essentially you had to have the shoes to do the technique. Exactly. Yeah. And that's why it's beholden to like the foot only behaves a certain way mm-hmm. and the balance changes and everything. So it's it's all based on having that equipment. Uh-huh. So it didn't exist without the equipment. So if you if you go back like I like to go back at least to, like, you know, Marie Camargo. Everybody mm. knows historically. Like, they're, she's widely credited with cutting off the heels off of her shoes okay. so that you have a flat heel. And then she's the one. Other people did it, but she's so the she one. So she was that, a dancer. Right. She was a dancer at the Paris mm. Opera. And this is 1726. She cut her skirts. That long ago? Yeah, 1726. Right. Wow. So she cut her skirts so you could see her ankles. And she cut the heels off of her shoes because she wanted to do the steps. She was very adept. Mm-hmm. And she was uh, uh, very well trained, and she wanted to do the steps men could do. So she couldn't do it with the heels on her shoes. Um, and if you imagine something like the Louis the Sixteenth shoe with the because it was more of a social dance, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, but this is already the Paris Opera. I mean, the um, Academy de Danse Royale was already in existence for at least twenty years. No, more than more than twenty years. So, so that's, it had moved from social yeah. dance at this point to technical, right? Dance. And this is the professionals had taken over. So the nobility okay. had already retired by then but this is when the professional came up so she's the first one credited cutting the heels off her shoes mm-hmm. so that's important because she could jump she could do the big step was on her chakra mm-hmm. like she could do the men's she step. needed to get her heels lower so that she could jump yeah more. yeah she was supposed to be a very good jumper mm-hmm. uh, my understanding is so then in so then jumping forward is 1789 is when the french revolution happened so all women started wearing non-heeled shoes because you didn't want to look like you were wealthy mm. so the wealthy people started not wearing heeled shoes either so it was fashionable to wear flats so then they put ribbons on the flat because they're french and they're fashionable and also your flats might fall off if you don't have ribbons so that's where we get the ribbons mm. on the shoes and then if you jump forward to 1795 there was a choreographer named charles Didelot who invented a flying machine because at mm. that time in the late 1700s people went to the theater and they were very enamored of magical mystical ethereal woman earthbound male they but loved special effects on essentially stage like where television and movies have gone where it's like we, with jurassic park they're like dinosaurs that we know that we couldn't see dinosaurs but, yeah so they did this in a theatrical way live theater right way. so imagine there was a harness like there's pictures of it too I could show you I know people won't get to see the pictures online but this is I have pictures that's Marie Camargo those are the ballet slippers but here's Charles here's his Here's this flying machine. So Sorry. okay, so this flying machine, I'm gonna describe it for you. So it's like wooden. I wouldn't. I don't know. You see the harness there, but yeah, you can also see. It's wooden and it looks almost like a seesaw that's a little bit heavier on one side, and then they have the ballerina standing on one end like a seesaw, yeah, and the see people the off stage, yeah, pulling yeah. it up and down. So right, that and looks then like there's another. Flying. So he invented this wow. because he wanted, you know, you would like, I guess, rise on your toes, and then they go, you know, and pull up the crank, and you'd go flying. So they off were the essentially crank. going on full point, but they didn't but they have the support. Assistant. Yeah, and their feet. They needed assistance. Okay. So then all the other choreographers are like, oh, you know, I think. I have to explain to the kids too when I give this lecture. I'm like, there was there weren't any internets, there were no interwebs. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it wasn't like you just googled this stuff. So, like, so people had to go to the theater to get a new experience. Mm-hmm. So people saw this and they wanted to see more. So then the next jump happens, and everybody knows um, uh, Taglioni, Maria Taglioni, mm-hmm. in 1832 is the first one with credit to doing a ballet on point, a full length ballet, and that mm-hmm. was choreographed by her father. Right? Didn't um, she have like wings? 
Right. So Filippo yeah. Taglioni is the one that choreographed it for her to showcase her. Mm-hmm. That's La Sophie. That's I the one I thought it was La Sophie because right. they're little. They're like little wings. Yes, right. little tiny wings. But also the big thing is, is that they basically took a, a leather ballet slipper with a leather sole. And they would just do the very barest darning stitches okay. on the tip. So they they do that, and then they wrap their feet up and rely on the strength of their feet. And wow. if you see, like I have a picture, here's what her shoes look like. And it, uh, I don't know if you can describe like it. It's, it's not a yeah, it's not, not even like a shoe. Not like B L O C H blocks, but like blocks. B L O C K S blocks. But if you really look at it, like that's all it was is a leather sole, and it's so she had really strong super. feet in order to do that. Yeah, and also, but if you think about La Sophie, think about the choreography. There's just a pique, a half a rotation, a little bit of a bourrée. So she really just has to like hold it and come down. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And so then the choreography was like that. Well, you know, people saw her do this full length ballet, and what it basically did was it took it from being like a stunt type thing mm-hmm. to being its own individual thing. Mm-hmm. So then the next big jump, we're going to jump forward in time. The next big jump comes from the Italians. The Italians were the ones that took that footwear mm-hmm. and reinforced it. So they put pasting and blocking in it to make it harder. Mm-hmm. So then the technical prowess starts to leap a lot with the Italian dancers. Okay. So that's where you were, get... Were those Cicchetti dancers Those at were that the Cicchetti dancers, okay, right. Go. So in 1893, it's Piorini, Piorini Lagnani. Is, that's a name. Yeah, that's a name. <laughs> right. Now, she is widely credited with being the first one to do 32 fuetes on point. Cool. And she was Italian. And so the 32 fuetes, for those of you, I've talked about this in a previous episode for pas de deux. So the typical classical pas de deux is set up. There's an adagio where the, the, the man and the woman dance together. Then the man dances in his own solo called a variation. Then the woman dances her variation. And then it ends in a coda. And the coda is like the big excitement at the end of the pas de deux. And the most famous part of the pas de deux is in the coda where the woman does performs 32 fuetes. 32 fuetes, yeah. yeah. Now, she says herself, I've read some things where she said I could barely get through 24, but she was a prima assoluta of the Marianski at that time. Wow. So she was Italian, danced at La Scala, and then, and then became this principal. Now, I want to show you something. This is the 1830s. Yes. Look at how contemporary she looks. Wow. She's so very vertical. I'm looking at an image of a uh, ballerina. She, she doesn't even look like what... I mean, she's a little thicker. Right, um, right. But not... She actually looks very modern. Modern, yeah. yeah. She's and beautiful feet. And like Yanni. And you look at her. She's got very nice feet. She's got well-developed legs. And she's very vertical in her placement. Yes. So that... She's not very bent over. So the romantic right. period of choreography, a lot of dancers, they would have more of like a pitch forward in their, their, their epaumont and their port de bras. And she's actually back. Well, there's a theory about that. Like, um, if you look... And I can always find a kid in every class because I say, can you go up on point? without point shoes there's always somebody oh, that yeah. can see this is my theory that way back in the day i think the first people went up on point there's always somebody in the room that can mess around and you know when you're playing around in between rehearsals yeah and somebody's like watch what i can do and they can do like a pirouette or a pk or something without point shoes and everybody's mm-hmm. like oh i think that's probably what happened yeah i mean like we, all, somebody, we all play around in rehearsal yeah. and do little things like bad ballet good ballet yeah like Men doing female variations, female trying exactly, to do male variations. Exactly. So yeah. I think what a choreographer went, oh, do that again, and then yeah. made them do it, and then that's where this all started. Yeah. But with her, you can see her torso is very much over her hips. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the pictures of, um, if you look at the pictures of Marie Taglioni, she's. I had read something where she had a rounded back. Mm-hmm. So her father worked with her, but her placement's like this, 
And I think it also has to do, if you don't have a hard block shoe mm-hmm. and you try to go up, everybody's hips go back. Oh, so I think the hips over the legs came from being freed up with the costuming. First of mm-hmm. all, they didn't have like all that as much corseting and boning. Yeah. Um, but I think it also comes from the fact if, if you've ever worn a shoe that's too soft, your hips go back. If yeah. you wear a shoe that's supporting you, you get to get your hips over your legs. So, um, so then from there, uh, that's when they, you start to get all the big ballets are being choreographed because the Italians had made these developments to the shoes. Mm-hmm. So you're talking about any of your like Sleeping Beauty, Swan Lake, all that stuff. And in fact, Swan Lake was re-choreographed later with 32 Fuetes. Huh. It didn't have it originally because they didn't, they didn't have that. It didn't they couldn't, exist. They couldn't do them yeah, physically it, on, yeah. the, on their shoes. Or it just didn't exist. Yeah. Or maybe it didn't exist on point, but they finally they added it later on. So then you're talking about you go all the way through to the 1900s with some of these big ballets being choreographed. And that's what I mean about how the ballets and the shoe... Mm-hmm. came together yeah so you can't have like one without the other they so it's essentially like... the evolution of the classical story ballad yeah and that that's how you ended up with like all of the willies and all of the yeah. the sylphs or uh, the friends and giselle different things like that yeah and also that whole ethereal woman and earthbound male that's where uh-huh. you get a lot of the fairies and all that and then because um, the women could look like they were floating on point yeah mm-hmm. yeah and so to, to me that's just really interesting though so when mm. when you talk about the way the technique has developed with the shoe mm-hmm. they're they're together like that whole classical roll through mm-hmm. and roll this way it just probably existed because think about how you had to go through a foot to go through that harder shoe yeah. as opposed to like mostly where if you look at La Sophie, there's a lot of pique type stuff because the foot's already set ready yeah. to go. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah. That yeah. History. I hope that wasn't too much. I, no, no, that's great. The, the thing is, I mean, the, the listeners are going to, they're going to get what they want and if they don't want it, they're not going to be there. But if they want it, this is what we, I want to have out here on, yeah. on my episode. So thank you for that. Um, I, I'm curious now. So since we talked a little bit about the history, I'm curious if you can share, because I think that it's really, uh, there's a lot of misunderstandings, especially amongst non-dancers about exactly what is in a point shoe. Mm. Um, a lot of people just think that they're like wooden or they, they think they're like wood shoes. Yeah. Um, they don't understand exactly how a point shoe is made. So can you explain uh, like the materials that go yes. into point shoes and how, the, how they're made now? Can I tell you, I even heard somebody on NPR say, oh, well, the shoes are made out of wood. And NPR. I was like, Cringe, no, cringe. There's supposed I know, to be like an authority. Know. Right, so they're not. <laughs> we in, are the new NPR here at Pod <laughs> Chat. Just <laughs> putting ballet. it out there. Yeah. So um, they're not made out of wood and they're not made out of cement. And um, I know some people have said steel and it's, it's not really made out of those things. The way the shoes are made is pretty much the same way that they were made hundreds of years ago. Wow. There are contemporary materials and I just usually put those under the modern materials. Okay. Uh, so they, they're made out of satin, cotton, muslin, burlap. Uh, muslin is just very thick cotton and yeah. a paste. And the paste is a starch-based paste. Okay. So you could literally like the, you could eat a little bit. Mm. And you can. If you, if you go to the free factory, you, could, you don't want to eat a lot of yeah. it, but you could eat it. Is that it why they're, if they, they sit around for a long time, there are those little point shoe bugs? Yeah. Yeah. Because so it's, there are little bugs that... Yeah, can they're invade like a weevil point or shoes. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Okay, yeah. but so go on, go on. So, um, so it's corn, or corn starch or starch? It's a it's a starch base. It okay. can be anything like um, you know, 
tomato, flour, um, fish even. Uh, uh, it just is whatever they had. If you think about it when they were developing them, if you're like in the 1700s, what do you have on hand? So they would take these layers of the muslin and then they paste them and then they put them on a last, which is they used to be made out of wood, but now they're all made out of, of plastic. And the last is, you know, shaped in a shoe form. This is actually the way all shoes used to be made. Mm. And they're an inside out method. So everything is made inside out. The layers are pasted and added. Then there's an, a, a shank put in there. And then the shoe is flipped. And that's how the outer sole is stitched okay. on. And then it's pulled very tightly on this last. And then they put a finishing stitch. Wow. And then just like baking bread, they go and they put it in a drying room and let it sit for up to two, 72 hours, depending on the company. Mm -hmm. And it dries out, and then it's shipped to you. Well, how does how does that process allow you to stand on point? Does the starch solidify that much? Yeah, it that... hardens that much. Wow. And then it's just up to that individual company. Like some companies, um, they're they're they have more layers. Freed has less layers in a classic. There's other freeds okay. that are harder, but a Freed classic has uh, one less layer. Capizio has one more layer and a, a, a stiffer glue that they use. Okay. Same with Grishko has a stiffer glue they use. Um, one of the reasons Freed is preferred by like a balancing dancer is that it's meant to be um, uh, to the moisture from your foot and the heat from your foot is meant to form it to your foot immediately. Okay. Um, That's why we like Freed so much because they, they show the true line of the foot. And right, they, and they respond immediately. Yeah. Whereas for some, but they break people, down faster. Exactly, yeah. and for some people, it's just not a great option for them because they do break down so yeah. easily. So cost, cost wise, it's especially for students that maybe they don't have the funds to be able to purchase point shoes like they like week after week or multiple days of the week. Um, they would probably go for an option that would have a harder right. shoe. Right. Um, but with professionals who are getting shoes for free, um, I mean the companies are obviously paying for them, but they get them for free from the companies. It might be a better option because it looks better. Mm -hmm. um, but they're just going to be sewing point shoes more often. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's true. Okay. Like um, if you talk to any of the City of Valley people, they're probably sewing two or more pairs a day. It's crazy. Of those shoes. It is crazy. But it's but if you think about it, if you it, just with the way these shoes are made, if you want to wrap your head around it, just if you think of it as paper mache. Mm -hmm. So everybody, when I say this to like most everybody, I'm like, have you ever worked with paper mache? And everybody's like, yeah, they do it as crafts, you know? Yeah. So you take paper. Kid, yeah. yeah, newspaper. I think I did like a solar system of paper mache. oh you did yeah. so you cut up the strips of paper you d paint it with a glue or dip it in a glue and then you put it around a mold and it has to dry mm -hmm. and i'm like and that's what a point shoe is basically maybe some of the materials are harder yeah. maybe the glue's a little bit different but it's the same idea oh. as a paper mache type product so mm -hmm. if you if you kind of keep that in your mind then you're you're in the right place and they are made literally the way they were hundreds wow. of years ago that's just not counting any of the contemporary materials yeah that's fascinating. Um, I'm, I'm curious, uh, before we get into fitting, what was your first experience with point shoes? And what has your relationship been with point shoes throughout your training and your career? career? Yeah, my first point shoe was, I, I, I'm pretty sure it was a Nicolini in Capizio. Okay. And Nicolini's, see, this is back in the day when there weren't that many choices. There's so many more choices now. But, um, you know, most everybody went, thank goodness we had a very nice dance store in Cincinnati and a very good fitter. Mm -hmm. And you always remember your first fitter's name. Her name is Mona Williams. Not sure if she's still <laughs> with us. I hope she is. But uh, she owned this beautiful dance store in downtown Cincinnati. And that's where everybody went to get fitted and, 
you know, they, they said, go see Mona. You just went to see Mona. So uh, at the, at the Cincinnati Ballet School. So, um, you know, you held on, she didn't quite have a bar, but I held on to like, you know, like a little radiator and went up and down. And I just thought that was about the best thing ever. In fact, how old were you? I, this, I don't quite remember. I just remember I was sick in the hospital. I had a staph infection. So my younger sister got put on point before I did. My whole class did. <laughs> so you had a little delay. Oh, so when you finally got to do it, it was like, thank you. But I was crying. And they made yep. me even take my point shoes off early in my point, first point class because I hadn't gone out and sent her yet. In fact, everybody else had. But it was all right. Yeah. I caught up. Yeah. But back then, it was like either Capizio or Freed in Cincinnati. Okay. So I was in Capizio. And it was probably, you know, I'm glad she was a really good fitter. And I had kind of archy feet. So Capizio Nicolini is very hard. Um, and it was a good shoe for me. And we were talking about my younger sister was in, I think, Nicolini's as well. And she mm-hmm. had a really tiny size. And then... When I hit about, I don't know, I must have been 16 or 17, I just got it in my head that I needed to wear Freed because everybody in Cincinnati Ballet, all the principal dancers who were any good were wearing Freeds and everybody that I saw... We all like to put those ideas in our head that we like look at the people that we look up to and we're like, this is the only, only thing. thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I... Uh, and dance magazine because we didn't have the internet again so no. I would like look at my dance magazine and all the dance magazine was like you know Gelsey Kirkland and McCarva and you know all those people wearing freeds so I'm like I have to wear freeds well you know it's a transition mm-hmm. because capizios are what I call an opinionated shoe they're going to tell you where to stand which is kind of good for a young dancer mm-hmm. freeds go with whatever you do so I've done this myself when I fit people I fit people into freeds and they're like, oh, the shoe's making me sickle. Oh, it's making me do this or I can't do that. And I'm like, that is not the shoe. You're like, you're sickling. (laughs) So that shoe, that's another thing about freed is it's not going to fix your problems. Mm -hmm. There are shoes out there that are problem fixers. I mean, they're not like miracle. No, there's no such thing. There's like no miracle. Well, there's there's only one shoe I can think of that's kind of... You know what? We won't name Which? names. We oh. won't, no, I'm not going to name oh. names. I can't name names. Oh, it's no. widely in the industry. It's called the oh, cheater shoe. Oh, I wonder which shoe. one it is. I'm sure <laughs> that I can. I'll tell you off okay, camera. This is going to be an off, off the record off conversation. Record, I'll tell you. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll talk about There's one shoe that people say is the cheater shoe, which I'm, I am convinced that there are a lot of people that are on point that would not actually be able to get up on point without this shoe. Yes. Not to say that there aren't a lot of beautiful dancers in it, but just to say that. But Freed's, you're not going to get away with anything in Freed's. Yeah. You're just not. Uh, so that was that was a learning curve. And I would see pictures of myself. I had to reteach myself like I was going way over my big toe because I wasn't really up on my turnout the correctly. Mm-hmm. Because if you think about it, if somebody goes over to the big toe on point, it's because they're not standing correctly on flat. Yeah. Because point work is, I always say that point technique is regular technique times 10. So you have to be so well placed and so correct here to be correct here. Well, then I need to get some point shoes. <laughs> Do you? I, I know a fitter. Honestly, I, I would, I'd, I'd, be, I'd be very curious. We'll talk about this later too. Yeah. Okay. But then, and then I say pas de deux is time tens of that. Yeah. Right, so like you have to have this well placement when you get the point shoes, and then above that, the pot of does yeah. above that. So, yeah, um, interesting. Yeah. Um, so, 
All right. So now you're now you've after your your career and your experience, you became a, a fitter, and now you're one of New York City's premier fitters. Uh, I think you you kind of explained already how you got into fitting. Mm-hmm. Um, where do you fit now? Right. So right now, I just do by appointment. I'm still affiliated with Freed of London since Chicot closed their store. I still work on and off for Chicot and Freed both. Sometimes if they need, if they have group fittings, they actually have it, they're not far from here, Long Island City. Mm-hmm. They're not that far from the Silver Cup Studios. Yeah. So, um, so I'm in Queens, we're like just two or three subway stops away from Long Island City. Yeah, so, so I still work for them. Uh, I still represent Freed when I go out. Like for example, I'm doing the ABT JKO Young Dancer. So, so if rep. somebody wanted, if somebody listening to this podcast were interested in having you fit them, is that a possibility or do you just do group fittings and, and get people sent to you? It's now what I do is consulting. Okay. So if anybody, they can always get in touch with me through the YouTube channel or any of my other stuff. It's always Dance with Mary NYC, like YouTube okay. and Twitter and Instagram and all that stuff is Dance with Mary NYC. And if people message me, um, I will be happy to meet them for a consultation. It's just gotten a little hard because now I teach, I'm teaching all these classes and then I also get asked to do a lot of workshops and things like mm-hmm. that. So I'm actually very It's hard now. being so popular. No. <laughs> no. And also, I was going to say be married. I'm yeah. married now. I'll be married two years in December. And it's like, that's it's hard. Whole... It's hard to balance things. Yeah. 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 Cause it's, I nice, wanna... it's nice being, being in demand. Yeah. Yeah. This is true. This is true. But I, I do um, do consultations and I do people send me a lot of pictures. So if okay. you were, if you didn't know what I did, you would see like that my email was like full of pictures of feet you would think i'd had some kind uh, of fetish or so something funny. but it's, so, it's, it's, no, it's like, the dance world is a weird world yeah yeah and i'm always like i am a professional it's all right i can look at your feet <laughs> okay so uh since since you've been fitting for many years what what can you tell our our listeners what they should expect at their first fitting and talk about the different qualities of feet that people have and yeah. then just share what is good for point and what is challenging sure if you're it, the the hard part is if you're going to school where they don't have a place that you can go mm-hmm. which i recognize that we're very spoiled in new york because yes. we can walk in a store and get a professional fitter and very good fitters yeah. in the city just by walking in right just by walking in and also i don't know if that place is still open and there used to be in philly the rosenbox i heard that closed though. i think it closed and san francisco mm-hmm. reopened and then there's a store in chicago you know so if you go mm-hmm. in a big city but if you're in a smaller city you might not have an opportunity to go to places you're kind of almost fitting yourself so i would say first of all if it's a young student listen to your teacher they're your teacher knows you they're not gonna they're not not putting you on point because they don't like you uh, so in other words the teacher is the one that can tell you whether you're physically fit, muscularly strong, ready to go on. Yeah, I feel like there there's so many times that dancers they feel like their teacher has something against them. Um, because they're not moving them as fast as they feel that they should go. Yes. But that's really good advice because it's it's like our intention is purely to make sure that you are being led safely. Exactly. Yeah. And so then so the teacher is going to approve you to go on point and maybe the teacher is even going to be there sometimes they'll sponsor an event at the store mm-hmm. but the young student should be um ready to try on point shoes sometimes they'll come in in like a ridiculous outfit like a tiny short skirt and everything i'm like you're going to be doing plies and tendus and releves so wear something that you can move like class and then the other thing is expect to also 
be fitted with some kind of padding. Most everybody does padding now. Okay. There are some teachers that do it without padding, but expect to choose some type of padding and then be ready to spend 45 minutes, possibly an hour for your first fitting. So it's a process. It's not like going to a regular shoe store where like you're like, oh, it looks cute and it fits, so I'm gonna wear it. There's, yes. there's a lot more to the process. There's a lot more because the, the fitter is trying to navigate what you need physically, anatomically, with, and trying to match it up with what the teacher's expectations are to doing the guesswork of when you're there with the student, you're fitting it with no growing room. So you're trying to anticipate the no growing room and giving a beginner what they need, which is usually a, a more supportive shoe, and also what's gonna happen a little bit on down the line. Like, so in other words, when I fit somebody, I'm looking not just to make sure that the shoe is perfect right at that moment, which you want, but I'm also looking going, that looks great, but you know what? In a week, you're going to be on your face because it's too soft for you. Mm -hmm. That kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, that I know that's the shoe you want. However, I know your teacher, and they're not going to like that shoe on you, so I'm going to have to fit you. So it's shoe not X. really when when you're fitting a first time uh, dancer that's going on a point. It really like when you're shopping for regular shoes, it's about like what the customer wants. But in this type of situation most of them because they're not educated yet it's nothing about what they want it's about you figuring out what they need yes and that's why many people do recognize that you need a highly skilled professional because it is such an unusual way to fit the foot compared to the way that we used to function as human beings without yeah. shoes yeah and also the way that you fit a street shoe you have to fit a street shoe with a, a thumb amount of space because yeah. the way the feet you know tight shoes are not good for feet but yeah. this is the opposite if you don't fit that foot snug i always say if there's anything if there's room for anything to go wrong in a point shoe it will yeah so if you think of one of the common ways they talk about fitting a point shoe is it has to be fit the way a cast fits a broken limb Okay. So a cast would fit you in a very snug, supportive way. It doesn't allow growing room, but it doesn't crunch the bones. Yeah. So it's supporting those bones. But the way my, the, the woman that taught me how to fit, Tina Dunn taught me how to fit is she said, a point shoe is a prosthetic hoof for your foot. <laughs> it's fit, I know, which... I love uh, the, the, the idea, just like the visual of a hoof. Uh, right, but <laughs> and she said, it's fit the same way a prosthesis fits a missing limb. Wow. Right. So then so you So it's go, almost like a replacement of the foot. Exactly. In, yeah. Exactly. So if you look at somebody say that has a, you know that has to wear a prosthesis, they would never fit a prosthesis on a bony protrusion. Yeah. They would fit it over a larger surface area. A it larger too much, surface area. Because it would make give you bruises and it Yeah, would, yeah, it really it's too much pretty, yeah. Them. So they fit it over a larger surface yeah. area. So then it makes perfect sense the way a point shoes fit. You don't fit it on a bony protrusion. You fit it over a larger surface area, which is the ball of the foot. Wow. So if you can, if you can wrap you, know, I don't say that very often to customers because they get a little. <laughs> <laughs> if you say the way a cast fits a broken limb, yeah. most everybody can wrap their head around it. Yeah. They go, oh, oh, and you, if you, if I ever give the lectures, I'm like, who's been in a cast? Yeah. There's always, you know, There's some kids. Are, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, it, but if you think of it, and actually, one of the interesting things is the toe pads that are commonly used, the bun heads ones. Yes. The gel that's inside of those was designed by a medical company 
this is going back in history too, but it was designed by a medical company and they made sleeves per prosthesis. Wow. So, so it actually was. Yeah. So same. when Melinda Roy approached them to do it, there's a whole history behind that too. But yeah. when she approached them to do it, to invent her company, that's, it was the perfect solution. Wow. So that gel in there is actually a really good quality gel. It's a medical grade. So it's a, you know, pure. See, uh, this is how important dance is that even medical quality grade things are being put into it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, though, if you, it, so if you think, if you don't fit that ball of the foot correctly, that's where you're going to run into trouble. And then that's what also takes up all the time in fitting. Okay. Is, is trying to get the length and the width just so. And as in a young person, that's a little bit tougher because everybody's a little anxious because it's new. And the parents sometimes like are anxious. like excitement, but also, yeah, yeah, a little anxiety. And there's also an anxiousness about the parents... You know, I get asked a lot, oh, are they going to get bunions? Or they're also worried about maybe the cost, and you're sitting there telling them, I can't fit it with growing room. That's mm -hmm. that's where people get they're Because they're thinking, like, oh, they're going to be wearing these point shoes, like, six months to a year down the line. <laughs> but in reality, most of them are going to have to buy another pair of point shoes They'll within outgrow a few them. months. Yeah, yeah I'll grow them. I mean, six months is, like, that's how... In my generation, that's how we grew. We grew that slowly. The kids yeah. now are, like, their feet are so much bigger. But are, are the, the kids generally... Because they're probably only taking point once a week at, to, to start, maybe twice. Um, they're not going to go through point shoes this, at the same rate that a professional is. Exactly. So is it common for a dancer to get a, like a first-time point shoe wear to wear point shoes for like a year where they will actually outgrow the point shoe? Or do they usually end up breaking it down and having to buy their next pair before their feet start to grow? I would say six months is good considered mm -hmm. good three months is usually if they're growing a lot and then a year is this is where you have to work and fit in the real world there are some places like when we would get visitors from south america and places you have to let them fit it with growing room because maybe they don't have access to shoes the way we do and that kid has got to wear that same pair for the next five years because... Yeah. They glue it <laughs> and glue it, it and glue it and glue it and, and glue it. And also in <laughs> Russia, my understanding is even though they have the Grishko factory and other factories in Russia, they wear whatever they get. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> I, they wear too small. They wear too big. They wear... And they do all those amazing things. Like when you see those Vaganova trained dancers, they do all those amazing things. And they're in those shoes that don't even fit their feet correctly. I mean, I guess that's what happens when it's state-sponsored art versus uh, privately. Yeah, so <laughs> Privately true. sponsored art. And Cuba, it's the same thing. Whatever they can get, that's what yeah. they're going to wear. And they dance. They're amazing. Yeah. So it just... It's um, kind of like, it may not be the most comfortable, but you you learn how to, to dance under whatever circumstances you're given. It. it Builds up a couple extra yeah. layers of skin, not just on your Make feet, it but just like, like bull. <laughs> thicks, <yeah. laughs> cool. So, uh, what what are the different qualities of, of feet that you find, and like how would that uh, how would uh, you put somebody in a point shoe based off of like flexibility, size, mm. width, length, uh, toes, diff like difference of lengths and toes, things like that. I've been fitting long enough that I have a very loyal teacher group that they know who I am by name and they will send me people by name. Uh, so they trust me. They say, just go see 
Mary. Like my teacher said, go see Mona. They're like, go see Mary. Mm -hmm. And they know what I, what I, I know what they like. Mm -hmm. So if they're, for example, if they're SAB, I'm not going to reach for a certain shoe because they're just, the needs are different than, than somebody like maybe that's studying with, um, Fabrice Haral or somebody like a more classical program, like a Russian program. They're probably going to want more of a Russian shoe than they, or SAB school of American ballet is probably going to be more of a, like a freed type shoe. That's true. And then my, feeling is I've seen this two different ways I have seen the theory that the beginner should start in a softer shoe that's easier for them to get over and then I've also seen the theory that you should start in something harder so that you push a little more against it sort of like to strengthen the feet exactly I've gone back and forth on both and I'm now under I'm back in the camp of you need something sturdy um and then professionals, well, the way I describe it is when a beginner comes in and when a young dancer below a certain age comes in, I tell them what to do. Mm-hmm. You need this, that, and this. And I said, and I always tell them, I said, if I'm going to be your fitter throughout, you know, your, your pre-professional career, I said, then later on, you're going to come in and you're going to start telling me what to do. <laughs> right? So when it's they get like a little they, older. They become the, they become the adult. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they tell me what to do. Like a professional... By the time they get to a professional or pre-professional, the nuances of the way that they're on point, because everybody goes on point differently. Mm-hmm. You know, there's schools that are trained, but it's very much that individual. Uh, so it's they've already developed certain ways of being and wanting to be on point by the time they get to that, like a very advanced pre-professional level. So you have to, even if you're going, well, anatomy is this, and as a teacher, this, and as a Pilates instructor, this, I could say that till I'm blue in the face, but it's really, I have to service them. Yes. And it's particular to that person and that body type. And I think that's why professionals also trust me coming in because I'm not going to sit there and tell them, I'm not telling them, I'm not the kind of fitter, and there are, there's fitters out there that are like, I'm going to fix your problems. That's a very antiquated way of looking at things. I'm going to fix your problem. I'm going to take care of all your problems. Instead, I go, what would you like to do today? What do you want to accomplish? What are you hoping to get out of today? And then we go from there. Okay. Because to me, that's a much more adult way of looking at things. Because yes, it, it yes. puts it into their hands instead of putting it on me that I'm going to fix all their problems. So essentially you hold all the information and then you hear about what their different issues are and what their, their needs are. And then you help them find the right shoe. So what, what types of, of like, what, what types of feet do you see? Like, are there, like there are bunions, there are the second toes being too long. Sure. Like what are, what are the different different types of feet that there you see? There are five or six foot types depending on who you ask. And they do have names. And the names are not necessarily because that's your lineage or your heritage. The names are more have to do with the artwork that is seen in those cultures. So there's the um, Roman foot, the Greek foot the Egyptian foot, then there's the Celtic foot and the Germanic foot. And these are all foot types based on which toe is longer, but it's really how the metatarsals line up because the ball, the foot is the thing that has to be fit, right? So the metatarsals, the way they line up. Uh, In the professional level, when you start to get up there, there are people with a long second toe. There are people with um, three or more toes the same length or a couple of toes the same length. There are not as many of the Germanic or the Celtic, 
I don't know if that's because there's not so many overall, and there's not as many of the Egyptian foot type, which is the long first of the toe and the rest of the toes taper. I have a theory about it. I think once you get up to professional level, that foot type, the long first toe and the rest of the toes taper, usually very narrow, usually in the most pain because Uh it's all on On one toe. Yeah, Yeah. and there's not as many choices because the shoes are more squared off now. But so it is possible to dance with any type of foot. Oh, sure, sure. Because I, I, I know this not to be true, but I can't tell you how many times I've actually heard people tell me that the reason these are people that got to a certain level dancing, but maybe didn't get the, a certain level of education um, beyond just in the studio where they say, oh, well, I could never have had a dance career because my second toe was too long. Um, I, I've heard that at least 10 to 20 times throughout my career. And I, I always look at them with I like, have a long second toe. Okay. See, yeah. so you can dance if you have a long second yeah, yeah. toe on point. Yeah. <laughs> so I actually, in one of my episodes, I talk about what to do for a long second toe. Okay. Foot. And oh, that's, so if yeah. you have, if you have an issue, go, go to dance with Mary. Yeah. Uh, NYC and you can check that episode out. I think there's also, I have this theory about point work, why they start you when you're so young. I think you're strength to weight ratio is high. So you are very strong because you've been developing your muscles over eight years or however long you've been studying. And then your body type is so light. Like if you look at the SAB kids, they look like, I always call it mosquitoes. <laughs> when you when they send in the, the class going on point, they're like this big, tiny, tiny, and they get over and it's, uh, I feel like I was kind of like this. I was so little. I mean, I'm still little, but I was so tiny. <laughs> and my sister was so tiny. I didn't feel anything on point. Everybody's like, oh, it was so painful. And it was so... I And I just... I know anybody can dance. Let me just say that. That's the caveat, is that anybody can dance. And anybody who wants to can dance on point. But I think there's something about picking that tiny body type that you're strong. It's just like the gymnasts, right? Like yeah. the gymnasts are strong, but they're still tiny. Yeah. So we call it bird bones. Bir- yeah, bird bones. <laughs> like there's like, like this they- different like density in muscles and yeah, and, and absolutely. Also like body types. If you're if you're that more that that narrower body type, it tends to be that your muscle mass is just lighter. Yeah. Like I've had some partners that are short, but they're really heavy, and it's not that they're heavy like they're fat. It's that they're they're skinny. It's just that their muscle density is different. Right. And then I've danced with really tall women because at, at Pacific Northwest Ballet we were they're known for tall, glamazons. Yeah. 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 Um, and there was a dancer that I danced with a few times. She was 5'10", off point. Um, but I could still lift her because she had such, like, her, her muscle density was just so low that it was she was lighter to lift than some of the, the oh women that God, were, like, five, yeah. six inches shorter than her. Right. And if you look at that classical type. Now, I know, you know, we're breaking barriers now with different body types and mm-hmm. such. I'm, I'm just saying that I, I it makes sense to me that you start out somebody when they're younger so that there isn't as much of a pain issue and also the no fear they're thing. so excited yeah, yeah they're, they're so, so excited. excited that they're not scared and that they don't feel the pain right and then after the first <laughs> class talk to them after the first class or the second <laughs> class but i don't remember having a lot of issues until i got to my first ballet company then okay. i started to have foot issues mm-hmm. and that's a whole nother well and then you're doing story. a lot more yeah yeah um i'm, I'm curious uh is it different fitting a child versus an adult? Yes. Um, you have to be respectful of a child not to mess with ephesial plates. And those are the growth plates that are going to lay down and become bone eventually. Mm-hmm. So you are responsible for not for fitting snug enough that they're supported and making sure they're studying with somebody that's legitimate. You know, I call it 20 questions. Like I'm always, if I don't know somebody, I'm asking who they're studying with and how old they are and 
how Getting often they go in. who yeah. they are and where they're coming exactly, from. Exactly, because, I mean, I've had people come in. I've turned away eight-year-olds. Well, Yeah, and, I mean, you know, you get in trouble working at a store or yeah, they start crying. It's, it's hard. And you're just... Um, I mean, it's interesting to see how things are evolving because, like, with uh, Youth America Grand Prix, yes. uh, where I've had a lot of a lot of students compete, um, recently, this past year, for the 20th anniversary, they actually um, changed their roles. And I, I don't remember if it's 10, because I think that the pre-competitive group is, like, 9 to 11. Yes. I think they won't let the 9-year-olds compete on point anymore. I think it's not Like, allowed. the fact that they ever did that to begin with mm-hmm. is a little... It just is. This is a slippery slope. It is a slippery slope, and it's changed over the years. Because as so, when Mary first got to my apartment, I was showing her around. Because uh, we we've tried to get her here a few times, but this is uh, the first time that she's been here. I was showing her um, in our hallway. My husband, his great aunt, actually started dancing on point at three. Oh my god! And I, just... I know, right? And and I, I <laughs> we have her point, her first pair of point shoes Those on the are wall. Amazing. Yeah, with photographs of her. And when we looked at it, the first thing I said to her is, "This is child abuse." Yes. Um, like times have changed. People used to put kids on point. That's why you had the baby ballerinas back yeah. in what was that the forties? Yeah. You had the baby ballerinas, ballerinas yeah, because they were essentially being abused, learning how to dance on point at three and messing their feet up. Um, and I know for a fact because uh, Dan's great aunt is still with us, and she has such bad she has feet issues in her eighties, like yeah. really horrible feet issues, and her feet are mildly deformed because of it. It's almost yes. like Chinese foot binding. Right. So that's what I mean. You you're responsible for their anatomy. Yeah. Now there are just in general. I just want to say I don't want to insult any teachers, but the Russian teachers will tend to put the kids on point earlier. Mm-hmm. There are some teachers that I really trust them implicitly. So if they see an eight-year-old, I think they're just having them go up and down a little bit. Marcia used to put them on point earlier, too. So Marcia Del Weary, who who, uh, recently passed away, she was the founder of uh, Central Pennsylvania Youth Ballet, which is one of the best training programs in the country. I think it really comes down to the individual student, because it's kind of the idea like everybody goes through puberty at a different time. Yes. Um, So sort of looking at their strength, but also seeing like how much they've physically developed. Right, and that's what I mean. You've got to trust your teacher on on that. So there is no age that you would say specifically? (laughs) I... I like 10. 10. 10 is, because Marcia had said this too, is that they there's no fear involved in what they're doing. They got, they're moving a little bit more into their adult bodies. Like when they're in set at age seven, it's an unusual child, like a Joyce Kuroko. You know, you've seen those videos of her, like when she was like 10 years old doing amazing balances. That's a mm-hmm. very unusual child. Yeah. But when they're seven they're just starting to move out of their baby bodies you know the little round poochy belly yeah and everything and they can they can hold their turnout and they can focus and their spine is more developed and their feet are more developed i would say under 10 it's really up to the discretion of the teacher and also it would have to be really really a talented student so you you don't think that starting a student at 10 is holding them back from realizing their career what it should be realized oh no i i think this is a tortoise thing and not the hare yeah and i think parents are very uh, they want to do i will say this i parents want to do right by their kids they want the best for their kids however it's being misinformed to think that by putting this kid on earlier on point they're going to be some kind of star or wonderkin or 
Yeah, I mean, by asking that question, I was playing devil's advocate oh, because yeah. I think so much has changed over the years. And I, I don't know if this is completely true. I need to do a fact check on this one. But when I was at the School of American Ballet, they would hire dancers at the age of 15 to be apprentices. Yes. But I heard that they've actually recently changed their contract that uh, dancers have to be 18 years old in order to be an apprentice. Right, because so, you're not a adult. Yeah, you know, at age six, you're not well, in kids, the eyes the of the kids law. Were, they were skipping school, yeah. um, and they would end up getting their GED in their 20s to, to have their career. And a lot of those those kids would end up burning out and having to go to college much younger than they expected. In the eyes of the yeah. law, you're not an adult yeah, until they're, 18. The, the best so. advice that I ever got was that there is no timeline to a dance career. And I think that it's important for people to recognize that to be a true fact, that everybody has their own pathway, yeah. and that... Most people, honestly, probably shouldn't be dancing professionally at 16, 17 years old. I think also in this country, we're so, um, everything is so packaged and, and anybody that is unusual, like for example, like say a Tyler Peck, mm-hmm. she's unusual. Oh yeah, she was 13 in the top level SAB when I was there for the right. summer. And that mm-hmm. is an unusual person. So that gets thrown up in the media and in everybody's face and that... It's and idolized. That's an un- yeah, it's yeah. A- so everybody thinks, oh my God, I'm it's not possible. 13 and perfect. Yeah. And and it's a just different for everybody. It's a different path for everybody. Um, yeah, I completely agree. And Tyler, yeah, she was, she's, she's one of the few dancers that was so prodigious at such a young age that I know. Um, and that was able to make it to a high level career because yeah. a lot of those students, they burn out pretty yeah. quickly. And Ashley Bowder, same thing, right? Mm-hmm. But Ashley, yeah, Ashley Bowder, um, um, I, I know some information that oh. maybe I should be sharing in public, but <laughs> maybe I'm going to step away from that comment. Okay. <laughs> uh, she's a nice, she's a nice, a nice woman. Um, I was just going to give some information about her, her background, but I'm, I'm going to step away. Not on the public <laughs> record. Okay. Um, how often do you see, do you like this quick transition? How often do you <laughs> <Segway>. see, <laughs> how often do you see men? Um, more often than not. Uh, I used to be, when I worked at Capizio, I fit all the Trocaderos. And I fit. And so Trocadero is a a male uh, troupe that dances on point. It's comedic, but they are all. They're very good. Very, 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 very good. good. And I used to fit Bally Grandiva, which is one of the former Troc's company. Um, I forget what he calls it now. Mm-hmm. Um, Victor Trevino's company. I used yeah. to fit all those dancers. And I, it's not unusual for men to be on point. At one time in New York, there were three all male point companies. So it, it, I used to fit men quite a bit. The, the, it's the same. The big difference is they need those bigger sizes. And also because just speaking in generalities in a binary, men have denser muscles and, you know, denser bones. They're just heavier on point. So they need a stronger shoe just because there's more weight going in the shoe. So there are like extra large shoes made? They're, they're started, I think, be, just because the overall population of this country has gotten big that point shoes like Apizio started making bigger shoes. Uh, Gaynor Minden started making bigger shoes. I'm not sure how far Russian points go up. Some of the guys wear Russian points. Blocks make uh, bigger shoes. So, I mean, that's that's a good thing, I think. And then it, it started out when the Trocaderos started way back in the 70s. They were completely a joke company. And they even had used to have women in the company. This is way back in the day. I know somebody that danced with them, like a woman. So then they've changed. It's actually evolved to the point where these guys are so good on point. They're really, you know, their, their point work is, is 
you can hold it up against. Oh yeah, some of them are spectacular. Some of them, yeah. I mean, it's the idea like the the center of balance is different for men than it is on on women. Yeah, center of gravity, sure. Yeah, and then also if you rise up on point, you have less friction. Yes. Um, So for guys, because their center of balance is lower, they tend to be better turners. Yeah. Um, They they have uh, their muscles fire differently, so they can jump differently as well so you get men that go up on point to to do a pirouette and they can go around they can go forever just, and ever this is and what ever. i said to people i'm like they're strong you mm. know they're just strong and there's also that that turning like if you watch men they'll turn from their chest mm. and it's just that that and they also don't have i mean this is speaking in generalities but they don't have that same flexibility usually in the hip and the low back so it's really easy that for them to get their to hips over their legs. Point, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, but it's it's but it's um they will usually come to point a little later. Yes, because because there are all those stereotypes that if you dance on point and being a male and dance, it's already a stereotype that it's effeminate. Yeah. And then to put point shoes on on top of it, it's essentially like the equivalent to doing drag, even if you aren't da- dancing in a company like Trocadero. Sure, sure. Yeah. And there, and it's not. Not I, anymore. I'm, there's yeah. not a... I mean, I feel like the, the stigma is going away. Yes. But there used to be more of a stigma of, oh... You know, yeah, and, uh, and I think we have social media and the internet to thank for that because um, back in the day, the only way that you could see anything like that was to come to a major city. Um, and in rural areas and smaller cities, you wouldn't see things like that. And now people can see anything on right. the internet. So I think that that's helped. Oh, yeah. I never thought of it that way. Um, yeah. Okay. I have a couple. I have just a few more questions. Okay. This is an extra special episode. So it's a little bit longer than usual. Yeah. What? Who is the most famous person you've ever fitted? Well, I've fit. Um, I've worked with uh, Tamara Rojo. Wow. Uh, and Jen, and where, where's Tamara Rojo now? She is the director of English National Ballet. Oh, get this it. is when she was with the Royal. Yes. That I worked with her um, because she was getting coached by David and David mm-hmm. used to send his... David Howard, he was, yeah. he was British, so... Yeah. Um, and he used to work with the Royal Ballet too, so... Well, he danced with the Royal, but he was also one of their guest teachers, but he coached um, Tamara uh, in the... I would say the 2000s. Yeah, the 2000s. Uh, and then I've also fit Jennifer Ringer. I've worked with her. Oh, she's lovely. Yeah. And I helped her pick out when she went, remember when she had that nutcracker gate? Oh yeah. There was the uh, too many sugar plums. Yeah. Yeah. I saw her in Oprah. <laughs> yes. I helped her pick out those shoes that she gave to Oprah. Did she oh, give her, she gave her point shoes on camera? I can't remember. Cause I was actually in an airport, uh, while I was freelancing and there was a tornado warning and it was chaotic. And I remember being like, Jenny Ringer and Oprah. Oh my God. Is a tornado coming? Yes. <laughs> Oh, so I didn't, so I didn't get to funny. see the whole episode. So she gave, Jennifer said, I need your help because I'm going to go on this Oprah Winfrey show after everything that happened with Nutcracker. I was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry that happened. I think you're yeah. such a beautiful dancer. He's such an ass. Yeah. <laughs> but it, was, it, was a, it was a moment. Yeah, a moment in dance history, <laughs> right? So I helped her pick out toe pads and based on like what Oprah Winfrey's street shoe size was and everything, we picked her out this beautiful pair of freeds. Jennifer put the ribbons and elastic on her and she Amazing. was going to present him with Oprah and she was hoping she'd put him on on camera. But yeah. Oprah was like, oh, thank you. Because you know no woman, yeah, yeah. regular woman wants to show her feet. Yeah. Like, you know how dancers are like, oh, look at my feet. But well, Oprah's all about are... keeping up appearances. Exactly. Shit. Like so, that's what she thrives on. So that was my famous, you know. Yeah. Like, oh, that's fun. That's so much fun. Famous. Yeah, I picked out that's, shoes for Oprah Winfrey. Very cool. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, I'm going to ask you that in a second. Okay. What brands of point shoes are there and what are their differences? Well, it depends on what you want. Like you could go with the contemporary materials and those are more like, uh, if you think of like really rubbery Tupperware, 
that's going to be your contemporary material. So okay. they behave a little differently if you if that's what you want in a shoe. And then you have in general the Russian type shoes and your uh, Russian points and your Grishas are going to have a harder toe box and a harder tip and just in general be harder. So if somebody's looking for something really super supportive and something for, you know how the Russians tend to pounce a little more? Yes, they spring um, up on they point spring. Yeah, as opposed That's, to rolling through the foot. Right, so that goes really well with that foot type. And then we also have block and that fits a wide variety of people. I think Misty Copeland is still wearing a block axiom. Okay. Now, I think there's a couple people in City Ballet. I think actually Ashley Bowder now wears blocks. Mm, wow. She and then there's Freeds. If you're going to dance for a balancing company, you really have to learn how to work in a Freed. Uh, I like those, and I like the Freed Studios for beginners because those are hard. I like Chicots for very narrow feet. That's the Japanese kind. They're very soft though. And then I also like oh I like Suffolk mm -hmm. Suffolk it was that company was started by someone who used to work at Freed's so they're very similar to the Freed studio line and uh, that they're very sturdy and dependable and they have a very squared off platform so it's easier for you know a younger dancer to figure out where they need to stand and I think you know sometimes they need a little extra help but I'd say whatever I know that sounds like a non-answer but I'm like whatever fits your foot is what you're supposed to be wearing of course yeah <laughs> uh, and the, the students are lucky there are so many other brands out there there's something always new coming out like somebody some new and upcoming fitter will mm -hmm. be like oh it's so nice to meet you I'd love to work with you and then they'll show up for the fitting and they'll have all these other brands of shoes that I'm like what the heck is like, that I don't and know what like, that is I know yeah. and they're really good at telling me about like obscure brands that are like there's one called Siberian Swan uh, I've, that's I've seen that recently yeah, yeah. On, online yeah. yeah and then I uh, there's another one somebody showed me from China that has like uh, plastic parts in it and not surprising whatsoever. yeah yeah exactly <laughs> so I would say if you're lucky enough, if a person's lucky enough to come to New York City, I tell them make an appointment at every dance store okay. and go and get fit. Just see like what the general exactly. like get it, get the general consensus. Yes, because most places won't charge you for a fitting, or if they will, they'll waive the fee if you purchase the shoes. Um, I know outside of New York, it's a little more dicey. Like sometimes people get have to charge a fitting fee, but I understand yeah. with the mom and pop stores, yeah. they're just making sure that you don't get fit and use up their expertise and time, and then go purchase it online. I, they yes. have to do that. So. Well, well, speaking about costs, um, is there a wide range of costs for different types of point shoes, or are they generally within a framework, like a, the same framework? And is it? It really is depends. It? It's going to be somewhere in like if you're lucky, if you can get something like maybe in the $80 range that's pretty inexpensive up through above $100 depending on the shoe okay so then you're talking about when you start to get up at those prices and they don't last or you're going to outgrow them it's a very expensive piece of equipment yeah. and this is where it's not cheap to do this stuff and you really have to take care of your shoes so I spend a lot of my lectures that I get asked to do I work with young students I teach them how to take care of their shoes because longevity is it and the reason that I know these things is through experimentation for example some of the places that I work like when I worked at the Met we got this big shoe budget Maryland Ballet I came home with shoes other places they were like these are the shoes you get and you better make it work out mm -hmm. so you get like you know six pairs for the fall and six pairs for the spring and you just 
figure it out. Otherwise, you're going to be paying for it out of your own pocket exactly. with that freelancer's salary. So you better become a master. I say call it a master of cyanoacrylates, which is just, mm-hmm. it's the same thing as crazy glue and jet yeah. glue. And you better be a master of crazy glue or learning to dry out your shoes or learning to rotate them and take care of them. And take yeah, care so they're not feet. like your shoes that you would wear on the street. There's a lot of different things that you have to do to take care of your, yeah, your shoes. Yeah, yeah. Like once again, if you think of traditional shoes are like paper mache so the more they can dry out and the more you can harden them so that's why they use um the cyanoacrylate that's just you know a fast set glue it bonds with the layers of the muslin and the satin and then what it does is it waterproofs it and hardens it because Mm -hmm. what breaks down your shoes sweat and pressure yeah like, it's just like I tell people, I go, what happens if your paper mache gets wet? Like, it disintegrates, yeah. right? What if you lean and on it too And then you get hard? a D on your project. <laughs> yeah, right. You get, and you'll get a D in ballet also if you don't take care of your shoes. <laughs> well, luckily, most of us aren't. I mean, when I was at the Kirov, we actually had grades that went on our academic report cards. But oh mo- luckily, God. most people don't have that in oh the U.S. Oh, my God. Um, so, okay. So, people don't typically wear their point shoes just straight out of the bag because they have to put the ribbons on it. Um, and they have to do other things do you suggest to younger dancers that are just getting on point to customize their point shoes themselves because I, I i've seen dancers where they'll pull the sole off and they'll like three-quarter their shank sure. or they'll like smash their shoes into the wall or they'll yeah. wet the sides do you suggest that uh, a younger dancer customize their shoes Again, or do you think they should just wear them once at, straight out of the bag with once they put the ribbons and sure. elastics on Again, this is where your teacher is going to be your best information. And hopefully they have some kind of a thing where the teacher is mentoring them through this, like say through a pre-point thing or a beginner point. Like the youth programs at Steps, I have to say, are actually really good. It's a whole education where they make them go to the store together. They make them stitch the shoes together. They help them break in the shoes together. So it's a real education. It's like killing 10 birds with one stone. Yeah. Just making sure that everybody is on the same page yeah there should be mentorship in this if there's not then the student can always ask an older dancer to assist them now on youtube there's lots of videos the only thing i don't recommend is and this is one of the reasons i started my channel is i you know with all due respect there's so much good dance on youtube there's also a lot of really bad stuff out there. Oh, yeah. So there are articles constantly written about <laughs> like the Instagram generation, the YouTube generation. There are a lot of young people that want to help other young people, and I love that they want to help them. But they're going. I saw somebody, you know, pull out the shoes and start like immediately deconstructing it, and it's like whoa, 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 whoa. Okay. You don't know what that individual needs. You don't know who their teacher is. You don't know where mm-hmm. they're studying. You don't know the nuances of what's going on. So if I would just say the most sensible thing is to take it to your teacher or take it to a more advanced answer if you're not already getting that information. Don't go and ask your friend that's in the class with you that just got their shoes yeah. new. <laughs> they don't know either. They were, they're on the same page as you. And, and like you were saying with the online stuff, one thing that I learned when I, and this is what I learned during my blogging career. We're going to call it a career now. Career. I had a career in blogging. <laughs> now I write for Dance Magazine. <laughs> That's how that worked That's out. Good. Yay. But no, so uh, one thing that I learned blogging was that, I, I mean, and granted, I have, a, I have a great amount of integrity and I do my best to always put out the most uh, 
like fact checked information. Sure, sure. Even though I might have given one that wasn't wasn't fact checked today. But so no, I I realized very quickly in my writing that when I became somebody that people looked looked to or looked mm. up to or turned to for information. Honestly, I could have put whatever I wanted to online and people would just believe it to be true. Yeah. Um, and that happens a lot with, with information uh, on Instagram and on, on YouTube where people might give you information about like how to do something, but it, they may not actually... For them, they may feel like they know what they're doing, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're qualified to be giving that, that information out. For sure. For yeah. sure. And that's, like I said, that's one of the reasons that I started the channel was so that people could could access information from someone who's like, not only am I a fitter, I'm also a dance teacher. So like I always say, I can speak dancer because I was on point. Mm -hmm. I can speak fitter. I know how it's supposed to fit. I can speak teacher because mm -hmm. I'm a ballet teacher. And I can also speak to you from anatomy because of the, I'm a Pilates mat instructors. Yeah. And <laughs> I, I've seen, I've seen friends go through that, that uh, training process. And I remember look, them looking at all of the the anatomy pictures yeah. and, and the tests that they have to go through are, yeah. are very uh, tedious. Yeah. And also, it, it uh, what I love about the stuff that I do is one informs the other. Mm -hmm. So I always tell people if they're going to come into a point shoe fitting with me, you're in a lot of trouble. You are going to get, if I see that you're not aligned up and if you're not doing things the way you should be doing, you're going to get on the floor and do some 100s. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to do some. Get down at work for these point shoes. Exactly. That's hilarious. Yeah. Okay, so I have one more question for you before we get to our outro just to like, I don't know, end this on a fun note. What was your craziest experience fitting somebody? I caught her off guard. I know. I'm just trying to think <laughs> because there is always somebody that's going to come in that it's a fantasy for them. Do you know what I mean? Like the are whole, they usually adults or are they usually yeah, kids? Sure. Yeah, yeah. No, a kid is a kid is an innocent. Mm -hmm. It's the parents might be having issues, but the kid is usually absolutely fine. Yeah. But when you get to adults, I, you know how there's like the whole you. Well, this was before your time. The infamous. And even a little before my time, the infamous crazy steps ladies. Okay. Like there's like steps on Broadway. Yes. Yeah. A whole gaggle of open them. class. I mean, yeah. yeah, open class, and which you've mm -hmm. talked about before, like yeah, how it's a crazy I teach atmosphere. open class at Broadway Dance Center on a regular basis, and it's a, I call it the zoo de ballet. Zoo de ballet. Because <laughs> the thing is, like, I have had the most amazing experiences teaching yes. open class, and and it can be very rewarding. But there, it, people pay. It's like going to the gym to take a yoga class. People pay the money, and they can show up once. They can show up a million times, but uh, you never know who's gonna walk through the it's door. It's cheaper than therapy. Yeah. <laughs> But then you'll be like, I've been in class with like Wendy Whalen and, you know, work with people like Tamara Rojo uh -huh. or J Jennifer Ringer or somebody like that. And then gone and here's the other, ex oh, and Savannah Lowry, God love her. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, um, uh, and then gone and worked with other people. So it's, I think there is a certain kind of person that may have challenges to reality that <laughs> that's are, a very nice way of putting it <laughs> right that that see ballet and they take ballet and then they see somebody that is adept as say a Wendy Whalen or someone like that or a Tyler Peck or whoever we've been talking about and they see somebody on that level make it look like it's easy because they're so good at it they look it looks easy yeah. right I mean we understand the work that goes into it yeah or somebody that looks at a picture on Instagram of some gorgeous Vaganova trained, beautiful Russian dancer and goes, oh, I, I, I want that too. And yeah. they don't understand all the things that actually go into it. So then that person p 
puts it on themselves that they're going to, I want to dance on point. Mm -hmm. And so then they show up to me. So I've actually gotten to the point where I can refuse to see people like that. I'm, I'm very a lucky fortunate. Year. Yeah, but a lucky year. early on in my fitting career, I did fit quite a number of people who were, okay, I won't name names, feel like yours is a blind item, but this... <laughs> it's going to be on the public record forever. Public record. Okay. In the 1990s, early 90s, I've been around a long time, right? Mm -hmm. So in the 1990s, I started working at Repito. That's where mm -hmm. I first learned how to fit. And that was the French dancewear boutique. And Repito, you know, has like beautiful shoes and the, you know, it's Paris Opera, like beautiful models mm -hmm. and like, you know, just gorgeous leotards. And they're considered um, couture in Paris. So I, I was there working at the store and um, there was a woman that came in and she was like, oh, I just want to try on point shoes. So I fit her actually pretty well. So years go by, and she's wearing the same shoes. Every store that I've worked for, Gainer Minton, Capizio, all the other stores that I've gone to, this woman has followed me around to the stores and has had me try and fit her in other shoes. We're talking about decades have gone by. Wow. And she, every so she's time, a repeat offender. She's a repeat offender. <laughs> so she would keep coming in and go, these just don't feel as good as those shoes that you fit me in. In 1992. Wow. So we're talking about time is flying When's by. When's the last time you saw her? I've seen her not in the too distant past. Uh-huh. Like within the last year or so. And wow. every time I have seen her on point, she's still wearing the same oh God. shoes. <laughs> so it's like all the work doesn't even like amount to anything. <laughs> but come in for fittings, work my nerves for, you know, mm -hmm. hours at a time, and then stay with those shoes. Can you imagine what a pair of point shoes that you've been wearing on and off since 1992 look like? Oh, they're the same shoes? The same shoes, I don't shoes, think I understand. Barry. That's insane. <laughs> this is that, what I'm saying. I mean, good for her. Like, she needs Wait. to do some workshops with some people to, like, teach them how to keep their shoes. And that's the definition of... You know, insanity is doing the same, same thing, thing over yeah. and over again right, and expecting yeah. different it's results. It's like when my husband falls asleep on the couch and he's like, I didn't mean to fall asleep on the couch. And I was like, well, did you do anything different? <laughs> no, I'm like, okay, you're getting a little crazy there. A little right, insane. Right. That's hilarious. So anyway, that's like the person still has oh, the same That's, that's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i mean that's that that is the joy of, of open class that you get people that uh are re very recreational start at an older mm -hmm. age and they can take class besides they amazing professionals right and some of them um do dance on point and they mm -hmm. do take classes and they're i'm not saying that they're not i mean they're never going to dance say with abt or something like that but they do actually improve and there you'll see their progression. so adults adults can yeah. dance on point it's just important sure. to have a sense of reality that if you do start dancing on point at like 30 something years old that you should not have the expectations that you are going to have a professional career dancing on point of course if you get if you get strong enough you could do like variety shows and like add it into sure. an act or something sure um, but the likelihood to be able to get your your aesthetics together in time um to have a reasonable Right. career with a professional ballet company is it's important to know that that's unlikely i also unlikely. think your anatomy gets altered by the shoe hmm. so if you've got to think that's why it's like watching i, I just always use the gymnasts because they're always on tv for the olympics and mm -hmm. i always think of simone biles because she's so amazing, oh, she's amazing. But she but her anatomy's altered by the work she does yes so our anatomy gets altered by the turnout and then with the point shoes it's just and so then if you come in and your bones are already set and your muscles are already set. Yeah. Now, that's not to say that you can't change. Any body, meaning your body, can change. Yes. But it's a much slower progression as an adult. Got it. 
So they, I'm not turning off any adults because I fit a lot of yeah. adults in. Well, they can be great. The recreational students can be absolutely great, as, especially as students because yeah. they're really devoted and they want to learn and they want to improve and they want to get better. And, and I've seen them progress and it's kind of amazing. It is amazing. Yeah. One, one thing that I always tell my, especially like in my absolute beginner workshops, but one thing I always tell my, my lower level uh, adult recreational students that started older is that they can, they can learn how to dance. It's, but it's like language. It's a, it's a different language. If you start learning a language at the age of four, you're going to probably be able to speak it fluently for the rest of your life. But if you start learning a language at 20, 25, unless you are one of those unique people that just somehow gets it you're probably going to always have an accent no matter how, how hard you try yes. so it's the same thing with your body for for dance no matter how hard you try if you start older there are going to be a few things that you're just never going to be able to fully do not that you won't be able to do them but maybe like your turnout will never get to where mm-hmm. you want it to be mm-hmm. or maybe your extension how high you lift your leg to the side may not be uh the same as if you had started doing it at the age of nine yeah absolutely yeah well this has been so much fun. Thank you so much for coming and doing this. And, and Mary was the one that actually, she was the one that was like, we need to do a collab. So yeah. thank you so much for, for making this happen. Before I go into my outro, I just want to have you remind our listeners about your, your YouTube channel and any social media info that you uh, can give out in case people want to follow you or get in touch with you. So you can go ahead and do that now. Yeah, mostly I'm really easy to find on YouTube. It's Dance with Mary NYC. It's the same handle on Twitter, Dance with Mary NY on Twitter. And then it's it's Dance with Mary NYC, also on Instagram, and uh, I'm also on Facebook. So I'm I'm around. You just and also I just tell people if you can't remember that, just start typing in Google Mary Point Shoes, and usually my stuff will come up. Awesome. Or if you type in Redhead Point Shoes or something, that's very cool. Something will pull up. Yay! Okay, guys, go follow her. Go subscribe to her YouTube channel, and go check out all the amazing things that Mary Carpenter is doing in the city. Thank you, Mary, so much for coming. Thank I you really for appreciate me. it. I had such a fun time. This was a lot of fun. We should have a cupcake to celebrate. Oh my God, we're going to have a cupcake. She brought these amazing cupcakes from, what, what's the name of the bakery again? Magnolia. Magnolia. Well, that's what we're going to do after I do my little outro. Uh, before I finish, I just want to say thank you guys so much for listening um, and thank you for your patience over the five weeks that I didn't podcast. I know I usually do it every two weeks uh, and I just need a, a few weeks for myself, uh, but I will be going back to my regular uh, bi-monthly schedule doing podcasts every other Friday. So thank you for that. And then also just a reminder that I am having my NCD showing uh, and fundraiser with movement headquarters we will also be doing an indiegogo campaign to go along with that so that we can fund our first season which is really really exciting for me um, so if you want that information i'll be posting that on my social media channels and if you want any additional information you can always contact me uh, and i will give you that information coming up right now I hope that you enjoyed this week's episode of Pod Chat Talking Dance. If there are any topics you'd like to hear me talk about, please feel free to reach out to me via my website contact page at www.barrycorollis.com. Again, that's www.barrykerollis.com. You can also reach out on there if you'd like to become a sponsor for our podcast or to book masterclasses in ballet or contemporary technique for choreography or speaking engagements. I hope you enjoyed listening in and talking dance with me. If you enjoyed this chat, please feel free to share, rate, and review our podcast on iTunes. Every bit of 
extra visibility helps keep these podcasts running. And if this didn't fulfill your dance fix, check out my sister podcast on the Premier Dance Network. New hosts from your favorite dance companies are being added monthly. If you want to connect with me to see where I'm choreographing, teaching, and what I'm doing in my everyday life, you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, where my name is B. Corollis, or on Twitter at Bariscos. Also be sure to check out my blogs. I have Life of a Freelance Dancer at lifeofafreelancedancer.blogspot.com, and I wrote about freelancing as a dancer there and independent contracting for five years. I also have Dancing Offstage, which is at dancingoffstage.wordpress.com and on there I talk about the post-performance careers of professional dancers. Lastly, if you would like to check out my choreography, you can go to my YouTube channel and you can find that by going to youtube.com, going to the search bar and typing in B. Corollis. Thanks for listening in to Pot of Chat. I hope you return two weeks from this Friday to talk dance with me and remember to go out and support your local dance scene.